Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are jumping back into our series in Luke called A Beautiful Narrative, Luke's detailed account of the identity, life, and ministry of Jesus. Now, we haven't been in this series, I think, for almost a year or something like that. So I'm thinking the best thing to do is to give us a little bit of an overview. We'll, we'll come back to that. Actually, we'll come back to this one. Let's jump to the overview of the, of the gospel, just so we actually know sort of what we're dealing with. It's all good. Don't, don't worry, guys. We're good up here. I'll make it work, I promise. So an overview. It is, uh, Luke is, a, is part, of, part one of a two-part work. So Luke is is just part one of, uh, of, of, of two volumes. Acts is volume two. It's written to a person named Theophilus. And all Luke is trying to do is say, Theophilus, what you heard about Jesus, it's true. You can trust what you have heard. Luke's gospel highlights the beauty of racial diversity in God's plan of salvation. Luke shows most clearly how Jesus lived in a world that does not understand who God is. I think there's another slide. Yes. So major themes in Luke, if you're reading, here are things to pay attention to. He, he talks a lot about God's redemptive plan. He highlights how Jesus is our Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Luke talks the most of any gospel writer about the Holy Spirit. Prayer shows up the most in Luke, and he deals as well with the marginalized. He speaks more about the poor and women than any other gospel writer. And then there's this big theme of promise fulfillment that goes along. And again, in our text, we're going to see that theme. And the title of the message, I'm calling the message today, go back, Sam, you were in a good spot, go back to the, the title is Questions, Questions, Questions. I think it's going to pop. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I should have organized it. But the title of the message is Questions, Questions, Questions. And that's because the passage is full of questions. Questions after questions. The way a reporter ask celebrities, athletes, politicians, all kinds of questions. The Pharisees ask Jesus multiple questions. They pepper him with questions. And the thing is, is that Jesus patiently answers all of them. Jesus speaks a decent amount in this text. Sam, you can jump to the, 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 the passage. There it is. He speaks a decent amount. Verse 27, it says, Jesus said to him. Verse 31, it says, Jesus answered them. Verse 34, Jesus said to them. Verse 36, Jesus also told them a parable. He speaks of a, a, a decent and good amount in the passage. And here's the thing. Here's what we learn when Jesus speaks. It's our big takeaway. When Jesus speaks, he changes us. So Jesus can do some things in people's life that no one else can do. He changes us. When Jesus speaks, he challenges us. Jesus is always sort of 
showing and exposing the wrong ways we live and think. And you're going to see that he's going to change Levi. And in the text, he's going to challenge the Pharisees. And my aim in our message today is to show us what Jesus can do in the life of anyone who repents and follows him. That there's this joy that Jesus brings to people's life, this freedom that he brings to the person who says, I'm going to surrender myself to Jesus. Then I also want to show us the character and the power of Jesus. So that's what I'm trying to do. So let's look at verse 27. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now, this word saw in the, in the Greek, now, I'm going to warn you here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pronounce a whole bunch of Greek words in this sermon. I'm going to get them all wrong. But I'm just, I, they're all important, so I can't sort of skip them. So here's my first attempt at one of them. This, this Greek word is theomai. It means to observe someone. It means to study something. So what Jesus does is he takes a long look at Levi, and he sees something in him. He takes it, he studies him, he sees something, and then he calls him. Daryl Bach says this, he says, Jesus views people in terms of what God could make them into, rather than pigeonholing them into who they are currently, currently are. And do you know that's true for you? When Jesus looked at you, he saw what God could do in you. And so he says, follow me. He sees what you can become, right? Jesus calls us to change us. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. And the more we obey the word, the more we trust the promises and live and do what Jesus says, you know what's happening? We are becoming more and more the people Jesus knows we can be. The more we obey, we become people of courage, takes courage sometimes to do some of the things that the Bible talks about. But the more we obey, we're growing in that. We're becoming those kinds of people. You're like, I'm always fearful. Well, you follow Jesus, listen to what he says. He can change that about you. The more we obey, we come, become people of conviction. There's some things that I believe and I'm living by those things. We become people of competence. We become people of character. As we obey and follow what Jesus says, remember, he calls us to change us. And so he says, follow me. Here comes another Greek word. I really don't know how to say this one, so I'm just going to say it confidently because you don't know how to say it either. It's a kolotheo. It's the primary verb. Here's why I'm telling you this. This is the primary verb used in the New Testament for discipleship. So Jesus looks at him and you know what he says? He says, come be a learner. Remember I talked to us about that last week? He says, come be a learner, come be developed. He says, come be equipped, come and be changed. The word is so important. Again, life transformation is what Jesus is talking about here when he calls his brother. Verse 28, he says, it says, so, so important. Leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. That, that phrase, leaving everything, you know what it means? It means that you walk away from every single thing that challenges your loyalty to Jesus. That's what it means. It's not so much leaving all your possessions. That's what's going on for Levi, yes. 
But the truth is, it's that if something is challenging my loyalty to Jesus, I say, that's, that's later. I'm, I'm done with that. And it says, and he began to follow him. His life changed. He got up from the tax booth and he says, I am, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. Life changed. The, the big takeaway is there. Calls us. He's, when Jesus speaks, he changes us. Matthew responds the right way. And notice something. Jesus tells him nothing. You notice that? All Jesus says to him is, follow me. He doesn't tell him the details. He doesn't say a whole bunch of people is going to be real upset with you in, the, in, in, in a little while. He doesn't say you're going to have a, a home. He doesn't say you're going to have this kind of a job. He gives him no details. The only thing he says is follow me. See, answering the call of repentance, because that's what's happening here, means following Jesus into the unknown. That's, that's a part of being a disciple. Jesus doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't say, here's what's going to look like, Mar, for you, to, for you to follow me, for you to give up that lifestyle. But what, you know what he says? He does say, trust me. He does expect us to trust him. And we should. You know why? Because you're not following some random person on Instagram. You're following the king of the world. Who knows all. Who controls all. Who will guide and help us when we take that step. You're like, how does he help? He, he guides us through the word. He guides us and comforts us. Even when the road gets rough, he comforts us by, with the help of the Holy Spirit. He guides us through the church family. That's why it's so important to be in a fellowship of believers and to settle in and to let the people there get to know you. Jesus uses the flock to help us in those tough moments as we're seeking to live life. He doesn't give us all the details, but he will care for us. Verse 29 says, Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others were reclining at table with them. So Levi doesn't know what will come next, but he knows what to do next. First, he shares his joy. That's what he does next. There should be another slide coming. He shares his joy. It says, Levi hosted a grand banquet. That's a party, right? I'm always talking about a barbecue. That might have been a barbecue. It's barbecue season for him at his house. He doesn't hide his joy. He's like, my life's not the same anymore. And so I want people to know about it. I'm not tucking that away. Jesus has done a big thing for me, so I'm letting everybody know about it. He knows Jesus has saved him, so he knows that it's time to celebrate. Why? Why would he celebrate? Because the gospel, salvation, brings real joy. It brings real joy. Why? Because you're free from sin. There's no power over you anymore. There's real joy that comes to our life. Sin has no power over us. We're adopted into the family of God. We're given a father who will shepherd us for life. And we're promised, when you read the New Testament, we're promised this beautiful future that's coming to us. So he shares his joy and then he shares his savior. That's the next thing he does. Shares his joy, shares his savior. Give me the next slide, Sam. So a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at table with them. Jesus is the honored guest. And what he does is he makes sure, he gives his friends a chance to meet Jesus. 
He's like, I need you to meet the guy who changed my life. I'm not keeping that a secret. And this is so important. He left the camp of unbelievers, but he did, does not ignore unbelievers. Right? Sometimes people become Christians. They're like, okay, my job now is just to kind of tuck in and hide until Jesus comes back. No. Jesus, part of, part of following him is that we share Jesus with those who are around us, the people who live with us, the people who are far from us, the people who are different from us. We share Jesus. Why? Because he can change their life. And so we don't hide. We don't keep that a secret. Here's another thing. Jesus accepting this invitation, do you know what it also tells you? Right? This member, he's at a party. Jesus accepting this invitation, it tells us that Jesus isn't afraid of a good time. I'm serious. Right? Jesus is okay with a, what to say it. He's okay with a barbecue. He's not afraid of a good time. See, for Jesus, it wasn't always just ministering, ministering. Sometimes he took it easy. He took a break. You're like, why are you telling me that? Because so should we. One of the examples that Jesus sets for us is that sometimes brothers in the gospel, he's just taking a nap. He's willing to take a break and so should we. See, when it's time to work, we should work. Nobody likes lazy people. When it's time to work, we work. But here's the thing. Life should not be all work and no play. Let me prove it to you. We give kids recess. Right? I'm doing online school at home with the boys, and I can't wait for recess. You guys need to go outside now. Right? They're like, Dad, maybe you need to go outside because you're crying all the time. But it shouldn't be all work and no play. We are to take a break, when it's time to take it easy, let me say it, when it's time to work, work, and work hard. We honor God by working hard at the, the, the things that he's called us to do. But when it's time to take a break, we should take a break. Time to take it easy and enjoy God's good gifts, sleep, right? Sometimes the best thing you can do for the people in your life is just go to bed, take a nap, sleep, go on a vacation, enjoy your family, friends, food. It's okay, Jesus models that for us. Verse 30, it says, but the Pharisees, so Jesus is at a party, he's having a good time, but not everybody's happy about it. it. says, but the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining. Now this word is interesting. This word complaining, it's the exact same word that is used of the people of Israel when they grumbled against God in the wilderness. Same word. Do you know what Luke's trying to tell you? They're grumbling against God. Jesus is God. One of the things you will learn as you read through Luke, what he's trying to do is say over and over and over, Jesus is God. Story after story. Jesus is God. He raised the dead. Jesus is God. He calms the storm. Jesus is God. He heals the sick person. Luke is trying to tell his friend and us, trust what you've heard. You're following God. You're following the Savior. The word is not accidental. It says, complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, the, the Pharisees had no love, no love for tax collectors. Here's why. Because tax collectors were considered greedy, frauds, and race traitors. That's how they viewed them. Because of their 
contact with Gentiles, their collaboration with Rome tax collectors, they, were, they overtaxed people, they, 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 they took more than they were supposed to take, and they were, they were extremely dishonest. And so the Pharisees hated them. What they're saying is, your guy is hanging out with a crook in his castle. That's what they're saying to him. But Jesus tells them why. He says, verse 31, Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus tells us what he came to do. Calling people to repentance is a major part, a big part of what Jesus came to do. That's our second point. Jesus says, I've come for the people who know that they need help. That's what I'm here for. And what's interesting is, when you're sick, you're the one who usually calls the doctor. See, but Jesus is the kind of doctor who doesn't wait for the call. Praise God. He doesn't wait for the call. He says, there's a whole bunch of sick people. There's a whole bunch of people who need help and healing. And so I'm not just going to kick it up here. I'm going to go down and I'm going to go to them and give them the help that they need. And here's the thing. When we answer the call, I want to I show you what you're doing. When somebody chooses to repent, here's what you're doing. We're admitting we sinned against God. So we're, we're just taking ownership of that. When, when we take a step into repentance, I'm saying, I've sinned against God. We're acknowledging that we need help. We're turning from our former ways of thinking and living. And this is so important. We're believing, believing we will experience ongoing gospel grace. That's what happens when a person repents. Now let me tell you something about repentance. It's not easy. It's not easy. J. Cole said, pride is the devil. I think it's got a hold on me. And that's true of every single person who refuses to do this. The person who chooses not to repent, who to not take this step, they're in the grip of pride because this, this step right here, to say this, takes all kinds of humility. You have to let go of pride and embrace humility. And when you do that, this is the way to get the help that we need in life. Then verse 33, they just keep asking him questions. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. They're like, You're having, your disciples are having too good at a time. Salvation can't be joyful. It can't be that. Their face should just be drawn. They should be upset all the time. They should be in sackcloth and ashes. Just, they're like, you're, they're having too much fun. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them. He's like, what do you, he, he, he paints this picture of, of a wedding. He's like, this is a special time. It's not a time for fasting. But, the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. The fact that Jesus calls himself the groom is very important. I told you at the beginning that one of the themes in Luke is this theme of promise fulfillment, promise fulfillment. Well, when Jesus says he's the groom, 
He's actually telling them one of God's promises is being fulfilled right now. Hosea 2, this was promised to the people of Israel. It says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and I will betroth you to me forever. Or some translations say, in faithfulness. Jesus is saying to them, when he says, you can't let them fast because the groom is here. He's saying, I am the groom. The husband that was promised to come that you would be united to, it is me. I am here. What he's saying is the Messiah you've been waiting for is here now. And so he's saying you don't fast in those times. In this moment, you are to be celebrating. What Again, he's challenging them. He's saying it's time to actually live different. And this phrase, the groom will be taken away. In the Greek, the word is aparthe. The word actually speaks of violence, right? So sometimes we read our Bibles, there's things that are just hidden, right? Taken away, just like, oh, taken away. But the word actually means for, to lay hands on somebody violently. So what Jesus is saying is, there's a time coming where people will fast, and it will be after I've hung on the cross and died in their place. But the fasting will be a joyful fasting because it will be a fast of, of knowing that, that you're actually... Uh, praying while fasting to a God who is alive, to a God who has given himself for you, who will come again. And so he points to his death. See, the way a mouse knows to run away from a cat and the way Tesla knows how to build cars, the way MJ, Michael Jordan, knows he's the greatest. Jesus knows that he was born to die. He's aware of that and he willingly gave his life as a ransom for many. As the hymn says, Jesus paid it all for us and everyone who believes that, who comes to Jesus, who answers his call of repentance will have their sins forgiven. They will be experiencing ongoing life change and they'll be given a future that is full of hope. That's what it means to come to Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 36 to 38, the word new is used seven times. Every time I preach, well, not every time, but a decent amount, I try to say, one of the ways you, know, you learn how to read your Bible really well is when you see things being repeated over and over and over, the author's usually trying to signal something. And so this word is used seven times in two verses. And that's what it's, what it's trying to communicate is that the presence of Jesus means that you're actually in a new era. That things have truly changed, that we're not living in the same times anymore, and that Jesus offers a new way of living. So verse 36 says, he also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, no one, not only will you tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, it will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. Pastor Thabiti explains this passage really well. The old garment and the old wineskin represents the old worship of Israel. 
Their view of fasting and their view of approaching God were part of, an old, of the old covenant. But a new covenant was about to be offered in the blood of Christ. That's the new wine and the new cloth. The old and the new do not mix and match. We cannot have the gospel with just a little touch of law and legalism. Those who drink the old religion of self-righteousness will not enjoy the new wine of the gospel. Can't have gospel and legalism. And Jeremiah tells us what it means for us to live in this new covenant reality. This was a promise that Jesus is saying, it's being fulfilled. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though it was their, I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Jesus is saying this is a completely new way of approaching and relating to God. This is the new thing that we actually get to walk into. See, walking in repentance, here's point three, means embracing the new way of living that Jesus offers to us. That's what it means. And the, the thing is, some people won't accept it. Jesus makes this beautiful offer, but the reality is that some people won't accept it. That's actually what the parable is teaching. You're like, why does he tell this parable right here? Because he's trying to show you three types of people who will all sort of reject his message in a way. Here's a, here's, let me explain the parable. So verse 36, I just read it, so I won't read it again. But what it does is this shows that some people are willing to take bits and pieces of Jesus' message and blend it with their own ideas. So it's like, I'll, I'll grab a little bit of that, I'll grab a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm just gonna keep some of my old ideas and I'm gonna live out of those old ideas. Then verse 37, this shows that some people will embrace what Jesus says, but they will try to live it within the confines of their old way of life, which is truly just rejection. And then verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new because he says the old is better. That is the Pharisees. This shows that some people will refuse to try the new wine. Jesus is like the new wine of the gospel is here. There's a new way of relating to God. There's a new way of living. You can live a life full of grace and joy. And they're like, no, 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 no. I want the old wine of legalism. And drudgery. They're like, I want to live that life. He's like, why? They refuse to acknowledge. They will not repent. And because they don't repent, do you know what happens? These brothers won't repent. And so they miss out on salvation and they miss out on joy because they will not embrace what Jesus has to say. But not Levi, right? Not Levi. Jesus says, follow me. He turns. 
he gets up and he says, I've been living a life where I've been defrauding people. I've been doing, I've been living a sinful and wrong lifestyle. He gets up and he says, I'm going to follow. I'm going to become a disciple. It's time for me to experience change. What you see Levi doing is he's choosing a new way, a new way of living. I'm not going to live that way anymore. And do you know what he can say because of that? Let me show you what he can say. Pastor Yogi's going to like this. Because he chooses to follow Jesus, because he chooses the road of repentance, he can say this, and so can you, so can I. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Do you see the joy? Hallelujah, he says. Sometimes I wish some of us would just yell that up in here. Hallelujah. Yes! No, I mean, Mr. Blunt never leaves me up here alone. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. What? Death has lost its grip on me. Death no longer has any power over us. You have broken every chain. Think about that in your life. The old habits that you just couldn't get away from. That old thing that you just kept going to over and over and over. Now that thing has no power, zero power. You can look at that old habit and say, I am no longer going to live that way because Jesus has offered me a new way that's full of grace, full of joy, and I'm going with him. Broken every chain. What? There's salvation in your name. Doesn't the unbeliever need to hear that right now? You're wondering who can save you from this misery that you're living in when you're honest with yourself? The scriptures say Jesus. There's salvation in his name. Jesus Christ, here's the future, my living hope. Remember I told you, free from sin. Life completely changed. Adopted into the family of God. Given a future with a hope. Here's how I wanna end the message. I wanna end the message by showing us practically how this text, how God speaks from this text to non-Christians and Christians. To the non-Christian, the text says, Jesus is the one who can set you free. That there's salvation available. And to gain a life of freedom though, you have to turn from your sin, that is repent and follow Jesus. And here's what I wanna say, I know that change is scary. Right, sometimes when we're inviting people into following Jesus, we don't acknowledge that there's a real cost for them. And that there's a, there's a real fear sometimes to what it may mean for them to do that. Yes, change is scary, but Jesus promises to forgive you, to change you, and to guide you all your days. You're not being called to follow someone who's going to leave you hanging. Here's how it speaks to the Christian. Jesus has set you free from the power of sin. And so what you want to do, what I want to do every day is that we make sure that we enjoy our gospel freedom. Remember the joy. And so what does that mean? Well, one, we don't let sin reign. Right? You want to enjoy your gospel freedom? Do not go back to those old sinful habits. That will steal your joy, I promise. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So don't let sin reign. Here's this last one. Don't let legalism in. 
God acceptance of us is not based on our performance. It's based on the life and work of Jesus. Somebody, hallelujah. Somebody sent me a, a video this week and it was, it was talking about the thief on the cross and he gets into, he gets into heaven and a whole bunch of people are like, how'd you get here? How'd you get here? How'd you get here? How'd you get here? They're asking him over and over, questioning. It's just kind of giving you a picture. It was a beautiful picture. And you know what? The, eventually he just says, you know what? I got here because the guy in the middle told me I could come. Think about that. I, when I saw the video, I was sitting by a, a pool. The boys were swimming and I got distracted. But I was like, that's amazing. How'd you get here? Oh, I read my Bible a lot. How'd you get here? Oh, I, I, just, I just stopped doing that thing over and over. No, 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 he said, I got here because the guy in the middle told me I could come. He had no opportunity to live and earn his way in. The guy in the middle said I could come, so I, he, so I came. And he's over there, so your beef is with him. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is what lets us in. Live in your freedom. And this is so important. Don't rob others of the gospel joy by expecting them to do extra things that the scriptures do not command. The, the, that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're trying to rob them of their joy. They're, they're loading things on. And Jesus is like, no, it's a new way of living. Walk in freedom, grace, and joy that Jesus gives. And this is so important. And allow others to do the same. That's how we apply the text. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your amazing grace. God, that we get to walk in every day, this new way of living, Lord God, that you offer. Thank you for Jesus Christ who set us free because of him we can say death has lost its grip on me who because of your precious son who willingly gave his life we can say that he all the chains in our life are broken that we don't have to go to those old ways father that because of Jesus we can say I have a living hope oh would you take us deeper into those realities Lord we pray Take us deeper, Lord, so that we can walk in it, live by it, for the glory of your name. So, Lord God, that we can witness to the culture that our Savior truly changes lives. And that he's calling people, the way he's calling Levi, he's calling them to repentance. Thank you, Lord God, for those who are hearing me right now who have repented. I pray for those who need to repent that they would, we pray. Help us now to express our joy as we lift our voices in this song. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.